0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. I'm Maddie, your host, speaker, and very passionate speech-language pathology advocate. You are listening to the Speechless SLP series with Vanessa Abraham, and you get a unique perspective in each one of these episodes on her journey being the speechless SLP in the ICU bed, unable to talk. So welcome to this series of The Missing Link for SLPs podcast. Glad you are here. Sit back, take a listen. Welcome to the Missing Link for SLPs podcast. We are wrapping up on our final two episodes in the Speechless SLP series. And again, I welcome Vanessa and I only welcome Vanessa because it's kind of a breath of fresh air just to have her back again for her and I to finish off these last two episodes. Welcome, Vanessa.
1: Thank you. I'm excited to be back.
0: I've loved having your colleagues and friends on, and I'm excited to get back to just conversations between you and I. So, in this episode and in the next episode, we're going to be talking about more personal things from you as the uh, speechless SLP lying in the bed. So, are you ready to jump in? Absolutely. All right you have mentioned several times in conversations that i've had either in these episodes or when we've talked together outside of the episodes that having a, a sudden onset illness or an illness of this depth or and chronic illness really takes a toll on the mental wellness can you talk a little bit about depression and anxiety and pics
1: yeah absolutely i was never never a person with depression anxiety i was always very you know half glass full kind of person and i got flipped upside down and turned into that glass half empty kind of person um i think i said in some previous podcast too pics was a whole new topic for me i never even knew pics existed and fortunately i was told about it i was taught and educated about it when i was in icu or when i got out of icu um, but you know, patients go through critical illness and their worlds are turned upside down. It's very easy for them to become profoundly depressed, um, you know, when you're going about your life and you wake up and everything's changed and you're wondering what your future is going to be like. It's, you know, I never imagined it. Again, one of those things you don't learn in grad school. You never taught that these, pa- these patients that we're working on, They're going through major life changes. Some of them have kids, some of them don't. Some of them are teenagers. Some of them are 30 in their childbearing years. Some of them are 60, you know, it's everybody's so different, but their lives definitely are flipped upside down regardless of what age they are.
0: So this might be a very obvious question. Why do you think that the depression and the anxiety developed once you became a patient?
1: Because I was scared just terrified unsure of what the future was going to hold for me unknown diagnosis and with an undiagnosis nobody knows what your prognosis is going to be you know it's, it's just that pure fear of the unknown am i ever going to be myself again am i ever going to turn around i certainly didn't know and my team really didn't know either that i was tested for dozens of different viruses and you know and that, I think, was probably the underlying foundation of just the unknown of what's, this, it, what's recovery going to look like. Is it going to be years? Is it going to be months? Is it going to consist of pain? Is it going to consist of lifelong medications? Is this going to be a lifelong illness that I'm going to struggle with the rest of my life? Um, it's just, again, just the unknown, the uncertainty of it all.
0: So a lot of mental trauma with the, the the medical journey that you went through. What can the SLP who is listening to this podcast understand about your journey? What would you like him or her to know?
1: I think the important thing with treating patients is to be aware of that. To be aware of the psychological ramifications of a communication disorder, I keep going back to the things that we don't learn in grad school because this is definitely one of them. For me, there wasn't a class on the mental side of it all. Um, I can't remember ever being talked or somebody teaching me about the depression and and just the the counseling that the patients need. So I think that's going to be the biggest one is just trying to understand where they're coming from, looking at the whole picture of the patient, looking at the whole who they are and and, and their, their goals. I think one of the, I forget who it was in one of the interviews, but thinking about their goals and where they were and where they want to get to is going to be a, an important one as well.
0: I think those were your PTs yeah. in the PT episode. They're like, our goal is this to get you out in that, oh. that square so what was I'm trying to sink into the mind of someone who's laying in the bed and, and you're depressed what were things that brought you down low and then the next question is what were things that brought you up high what little things And oh. both oh. <laughs> the things that brought me down low and high I'm
1: gonna, very emotional it makes me cry but I think the lows and the highs all revolved around my child. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: The things that brought me highs were thinking about reuniting with my child again, but the things that brought me lows were the things of, is this my forever, am I always gonna be in this state, and what kind of mom am I gonna be for the rest of my life? Will I ever work again? Will I ever be the wife I was again? Will I be the daughter I was? So it's kind of, I think some of the highs and lows were, were one of the same at times.
0: Was it, was it helpful for the SLP working with you to address those issues? Or would you rather have had somebody who's more focused in a counseling career or something?
1: Well, I had a social worker in the, in the hospital as well, but they were mostly working with my husband. But no, I appreciated my SLP and my PTs as well, my nursing as well, all of them, reminding me of why I was fighting. I think that was important for them to incorporate those highs and lows. And when they saw that I was low, they would remind me of that high of of why I needed to keep fighting.
0: So you're known as the Speechless SLP. How did you communicate your highs and lows with your caregiver team, with your medical team? And how did they respond back to you?
1: Um, at that point, gestures, it's mostly gestures pointing. And my team did an amazing job of trying and reading between the lines. With my husband's help, he, he helped them understand what my gestures meant. And once that communication was going between my husband and my team, then they all could understand what I was trying to get at. It wasn't an easy process by any means, but they figured it out. And then they read body language, too, you know, there were times that like right now there were tears. There were a lot of tears and they could see what those tears meant. Mm my team of professionals at UCSD, a lot of them were mothers and they had families of their own and they could, they could read between the lines and see the emotion in my body language.
0: Were there some questions that were easier for you to answer like yes, no, multiple choice, open-ended, um, what did you prefer? In the yeah. different stages, where is it different?
1: no i don't think there was one form of communication that was easier for me than another i just had a lot of questions Mm -hmm. i had questions that weren't just yes no i wanted Mm -hmm. details i wanted explanations and i had a lot of questions so my communication was not easy no no I wanted lengthy responses, and the communication was slow. It was very slow. They would be in there for a long period of time trying to figure out what it was that I was meeting.
0: What was it like when you asked a question that somebody couldn't give you an answer for? And could you differentiate between what they couldn't give you an answer for and what they didn't want to give you an answer for?
1: No, I couldn't differentiate, but it was a very frustrating process. When they didn't understand, I was frustrated They were patient, but I know they felt bad, just like I felt bad. I felt bad, they weren't understanding me. They felt bad, they weren't understanding me. Um, It was definitely a hard process on both ends, but I think both parties, myself and my team, or my husband, everybody had the best intentions and everybody Mm -hmm. genuinely cared, so they were very patient. Um, they would sit there and, and wait wait, wait me out. They would wait for me to get those words out, whether it was alphabet board or text speech or whatever it was. They were very patient with me. And, and I tried to be patient with them, but I know there were times that the frustration got the best of me. Um, but overall, like I said, it was just a very slow and hard frustrating process.
0: Can you think of a time in particular where one of those discussions was just so frustrating and you can share that with us?
1: You know, I don't remember one specific one. I felt, I honestly feel like they all were frustrating. Mm-hmm. All of them were. It was, you know, you're dealing with very important questions. Mm-hmm. One important question leads to another important question. And all questions were very important, and I wanted answers to all of them. So I really don't think one was more difficult than another.
0: All, all important.
1: Yeah, yeah, all very important. And like I said, I, I wanted, I wanted to know what was going on. I wanted to be involved.
0: Reminds me of that children's book: "If you give a mouse a cookie." Yeah. <laughs> so, if you ask a patient in a bed a question, it can go here, then here, then here, then here, and I'm sure you're laying in bed. You just your mind is whirling.
1: Yes, and especially when you're cognitively intact,
0: mm-hmm.
1: the anxiety starts going. You start thinking, "What if? What if that goes wrong? Then what are you going to do? Well, if that goes wrong, what are you going to do? And how are you going to? You know, the, you just the thoughts just keep coming at you like a wave and you're so right when you say that book.
0: So there was a point in time when they put the Passy valve on you. And you said, I can't even think. Tell us about that.
1: I was in a state of shock and disbelief. All I could think about is, you know, this is going to sound really weird, but as a school-based SLP, we don't use Passy valves. Mm-hmm. And the only time I've been really exposed to them, you know, we talk about them in grad school, but that was years ago for me. And the only other time since then that I've ever been exposed to them is when I go to a convention, when I go to, you know, my state convention or ASHA convention every year. Um, and I would see the Pasi Miraval booth there, and I would always just kind of breeze right by it, look at it, kind of think, oh, interesting, but I would pass right by it as a school-based SLP. It's just not something that we do. Mm-hmm. So when they brought that in, it was more of a state of shock and disbelief and th- thinking, like, you're not oh. in my You've got to be in the wrong room. This is not, you've got the wrong patient. This can't be me. And yeah, lots of tears involved in that.
0: What was that like when that little button went on? What were your thoughts, concerns, worries, hopes?
1: Oh, thoughts and concerns is, this is the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. By far. It's the hardest and scariest moment of my life.
0: The pasty the mirror valve was mm-hmm. why
1: it was so hard and i don't know if it was the nature of my diagnosis and the way my illness was and the things that were damaged like the cranial nerves that were involved i don't know um would probably be more of a question for my slps but it was absolutely terrifying hard the act of Producing voice again is brings me nightmares. Still to this day, it's just it's
0: so much work. So the words of encouragement from the SLP putting the valve on were important. Explaining step by step, education,
1: patient education. Here I was an SLP, and you'd think I would have some clue as to what was going on with me. But again, I think I've said in previous podcasts. When you're in that state of fear, Mm -hmm. you're not able to think clearly. You don't know Mm -hmm. your right foot from your left foot. And, you know, being so patient with the patient um, and explaining to them, bringing visuals. You know, some people are visual learners. Some people are, you know, auditory learners. There's all sorts of different learners. And I think at that point in the game for me, I needed all sorts of, different modalities to help me learn. I was, yeah, you know, just explaining to them, this is what it's going to happen. My SLP did a good job. It kind of explaining to me what it was going to feel like mm-hmm. just to prepare me beforehand. This is what you're going to experience.
0: What did it feel like?
1: It was just really hard, hard to breathe. Hard. Yeah. Hard. And again, I don't, I don't know if it was just, my, the way my body was and the areas that were affected. Um, Cause I know that plays into a, you know, everybody's, you know, whether you had a stroke or whatever mm-hmm. you had going on, everybody's body responds differently. And mm-hmm. they have a different experience to different events, whether it's a PMB or learning to walk again. Um, but for me, it was just the most exhausting, scary, Part of the entire experience for
0: me. Do you remember what your first words were?
1: Um, <laughs> I totally forgot about that until right <laughs> now. <Annie>. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that is so funny, but <laughs> oh my gosh! I wish my SLP was here, but i do now that you say that i remember and it was something to the effect of how awful the secretions tasted Ooh. yes because it was just disgusting yeah. i had so many that yeah it was something i don't remember verbatim what it
0: was but yeah it was something like that that's pretty important
1: i don't think Secutions. the words i chose were very Lessons or were, very, <laughs> we're very appropriate for podcasts, but um,
0: but she got them out there with you passing your valve on, and you you got your voice back.
1: Yep, yep, and I was just angry at the time, and
0: mm-hmm.
1: all sorts of emotions and rage running through my body, and I just spewed out these words that, yep, but I got them out.
0: Good, good, so you you mentioned before that you're now able to relate to a lot of your other students that you work with and so i'm moving you now from being in the bed and getting the passing mirror valve on now to understanding the perspective of those you work with so what perspective before we move on to the next part the next few set of questions in this episode any final perspective that you want SLPs to know about you laying there in that bed voiceless? Anything to do with being voiceless or mental wellness issues?
1: Yeah, it all comes back to me about the mental wellness.
0: Mm-hmm. Um,
1: that's just who I am now as an SLP. That's kind of where all of this is taking me. I'm just overly concerned with patients' mental wellness and how they're doing, keeping positive and keeping the hope up for me everybody was always saying remember where you were remember where you were and at the time you just you're frustrated and angry you're thinking yeah i know but where i was you know i want to be back where i was was pre mm-hmm. they would say no think about where you were a week ago mm-hmm. you know a week ago you were far you know and just the progression of healing. you know in a week's time you can make gains to being completely um, sedated and unable to move to maybe a week later you're able to at least sit up in bed and eat a meal so just remembering where you were and i think that's just so important to write these things down write them down in a book so patients can maybe reflect on them that you know yesterday or last week you weren't eating but today you had your first bite of applesauce or whatever it was just so they can see okay yes i am making games even though they're tiny
0: and small and sometimes you feel like it's not enough at least it's a game so you're three years post yep and you've healed a bit and you've returned to work as a school-based slp you're back to being a mom and a wife and a daughter and a mother a lot of times when people recover from something they have these invisible disabilities and people will say wow you look so good what kind of uh response how do you handle that question or comment
1: oh, i'm so glad you brought that up because i have this conversation with so many people so often and it just frustrates me but you know what i was just actually having a conversation with a friend just yesterday about this. And although that comment frustrates me because you don't know what's going on with people mentally, you don't know how they're feeling by looking at somebody so they can cross the street, so they can eat a meal. Do you really know how they're feeling? And something that I've had to tell myself and remind myself, because sometimes I get pretty down thinking, wow, everybody else can... Everybody else can get up and run around and they're doing their thing and they're soccer mom and they're, you know, going to the gym and lifting this weight and that weight. But I have to remind myself that so many people are struggling with invisible disabilities that we just don't know. We just cannot see the PTSD that they experience. We can't visibly see depression. We can't visibly see the anxiety that they're having. I have some close friends right now that are dealing with some medical issues and they just don't feel good. They go to work every day, they put their best foot forward, but they are dealing with some medical issues that you just can't see. And they, that I hate using the term, but they fake it till they make it. And I've been one of those too, that I go about my day and I put on my work clothes and just fake it till you make it. But I've been one of those too, that people look at and say, wow, you look amazing. And I think, yeah, it's the only meal mm
0: mm-hmm. So opening up some of those conversations, not presuming,
1: yeah, I look at people in a whole different light now i I see people that are very active and I think wow they look they appear to have a good life, but you know what was their childhood like? Maybe they're dealing with some emotional issues from childhood, we just don't know we don't know what anybody's feeling or what they've gone through so that saying of, you know, being kind to everyone, you just don't know what they're dealing with. That's so true. You mm-hmm. know, I mm-hmm. see people in the community and I try to always smile at people and, and be very friendly because you just don't know. You don't really know. We never will know.
0: Mm-mm. And it makes a difference sometimes. And if it doesn't make a difference, then that's not your bad. But you were the, you were kind and compassionate. I think that's one of our trademarks as SLPs. Many other professions have it, but I think as SLPs, we're good at being compassionate and kind. So when there are people who have those invisible scars, what's it been like dealing with the cognitive changes?
1: That's hard. I have to give myself a lot of grace and just sometimes laugh things off and blow it off and just think, oh, how many other people, how many other moms too, you know, as moms and working moms in particular are experiencing cognitive difficulties, you know, the past two years on working moms have been really hard, so I sometimes have to give myself some grace and think, well, you know what, I'm not alone. Mm-mm. We're all dealing with this at some point, you know, and people are dealing with juggling grandkids. I look at my mom, you know, she's juggling grandkids and her own wife, and so I think We all, in some respects, have a cognitive disability at times where we're forgetful and so overwhelmed, stressed,
0: burned out. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, multitasking, which we know is not effective anyways. Mm -hmm. Um, So sometimes, yeah, I just have to kind of blow it off and think, well, I'm I'm not alone. I'm certainly not alone. We're all really busy and stressed at work we know we're putting they're putting more and more demands on us at work which really adds to the mental load so you know again I just have to kind of chalk it up to the fact that we're all dealing with it COVID didn't help anybody either no
0: no, and just being kind with one another too you were looking for um a couple of email, uh, an email from me and and a calendar invite and I think you were twice looped back and said hey so where is it I'm like, oh, I'll get it to you, but it's coming. It's coming and working with each other instead of the shoulda, woulda, couldas. It's the let's collaborate and see where we can help, and and having the positive approach versus the negative and missing approach, and understanding that people do come from different backgrounds and bring different. Challenges, whether we see them or not, you know the mental wellness scars are the, are the scars we cannot see. And I don't know of anybody who's been through a fairy tale life without bumps and bruises and scars. No, I
1: don't think that
0: even exists. Honestly, mm-mm, mm-mm, no. You, you're very resilient. You went into this journey, this 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 medical. Um, event, and you're coming out on the other side of it very strong, and you seem to be pivoting away from a helpless, I'm in the bed, I'm speechless, into the, I have my voice back, I have my life back, and here's where I'm going to go with it. How do you develop that sense of resilience, and where where do you get your strength from? I love this question
1: wow you this is a perfect opportunity um, because something happened to me this weekend and it's going to answer that question for you um so i had an appointment this weekend with a woman and it was actually she was doing blood work on me and she's looking at my blood work under a microscope and she says has anybody told you you have really strong constitution and i said what And she goes, yeah, you have really strong constitutions. And I said, she goes, this is not genetic. This is how you were brought up, how you were raised. And I said, wow, I said, nobody has ever told me that. But I, I said, I recently have told my parents that I figured out that the reason I fought like I did is because the way I was raised my parents set the example at a young age not that they knew that you know back then but i think that's what got me through it i think you know my parents had difficult times like most people you know raising kids stressful times it's not easy being a parent anyways and my parents set the example that you know times get tough you get out of bed and you keep going Mm -hmm. going to work you provide for your family and they showed me that example from the minute I was born. And I think that's what got me through it. Um, That foundation, that was my root structure. And I think that's kind of what, what showed me that this is what you do. Like, give you lemon, you make lemonade.
0: And that expiration date though on the carton of milk has expired. So you've grown up and you've taken it on your own.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, I've yep, taken that and learned from their example and I can only hope that I've done
0: the same thing for my child. Mm-hmm. And your colleagues. Yeah. I know not everybody comes from strong family roots or strong communities and they form their own. And you have one thing, even though I'm happy I to have you all by myself today. I have really enjoyed the guests that we've had on, and the admiration that they have for you, and the admiration you have back for them. So you've had a lot of a love and appreciation for your team that's carried you through this. And those Absolutely. tears have been good tears and bad tears, but you've all cried together.
1: Absolutely, they've been amazing. Um, they pushed me through the hard times for sure. I there were many many moments of. Um, ready to throw in the towel on this, and
0: they scoop me off the floor. So moving on to social anxiety, what are social gatherings like for you now?
1: They're more triggers of more anxiety. I'd rather just avoid them altogether. I'd rather be home with my family.
0: And you are, yes? Yeah.
1: It's harder, it's not as enjoyable as it once was for me, but I'm okay with that.
0: Final question regarding now we've just finished a series what i didn't learn in graduate school and so a final question i have for you is what do you want slps who are in graduate school to know about the mental wellness the mental trauma of being in an icu bed and speechless
1: i want them to know that it's real and it's not something to be taken lightly I don't know what the statistics are, but I would assume that the suicide rates and the rate of this overall depression with ICU survivors that are in a critical state that, you know, may not recover. Um, I would assume that that number would probably be really, really high. It would probably shock all of us, even me being an, an ICU survivor,
0: mm-hmm.
1: because those thoughts are very, very, very dark. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's just really important because I don't think that area is discussed enough. I don't think it's discussed enough with the family members just to prepare the family members of what the transition is going to look like post-ICU, just to warn them that this is what they may experience.
0: So as our role is, as SLPs, what are the parameters, what's important for us to know in those discussions?
1: I think the most important thing would just be make sure they're educated. Um, I was very fortunate in the fact that I was identified when I left ICU by the critical care team. They did identify me and red flag me as being a potential candidate for PICS therapy, for, you know, having a being a patient with severe depression. So they mm-hmm. kind of red flagged me and monitored me. And I was very fortunate for that respect, but not a lot of hospitals do that they do not they may not identify them, or they may just send them on to the next level of care and just kind of bypass that area and i think that's important to
0: look at so for slps opening up the vision and look at comprehensive in addition to their speech swallowing communication needs look and even though it's outside of our direct scope being able to identify it, flag it, and include that in our comprehensive care approach.
1: Yeah, and I hate to add another thing on the SLP's plate because I know <laughs> more than anybody our plates are full enough, but maybe just even as an SLP, notifying a social worker on staff mm-hmm. or just bringing it to the attention during rounds and just saying, hey, has anybody looked into, you know, their their depression? Has anybody looked into something, you know, looked into PICS? Um, And just mention that to the team, just get that conversation going. That could take five minutes.
0: And and PICS is post-intensive care syndrome. Yes. Support.
1: Mm -hmm. Yep. and there's there's Facebook pages for support groups out there for PICS. There's ICU survivors, Facebook pages. There's a lot of resources out there for people. I think just having that conversation with the team during rounds and just, you know, planting the seed just so
0: everybody's talking about it. Excellent. Well, thank you for your time today. One more episode to go. So, hey, SLPs, that concludes this episode of The Missing Link for SLPs podcast. Please visit my website at freshslp.com, follow me on Instagram, or jump on Facebook to connect in our safe and friendly Fresh SLP community where we are empowering new and transitioning SLPs. If you found value in this episode or in any way had an aha moment, or I gave you a fresh perspective, please show me some SLP love and support me on iTunes or the Apple Podcast app or subscribe to me on YouTube. You got this.